You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Chris Walker, the CEO at Refined Labs. If you're a pro sports coach, you have to be very good at identifying talent because a lot of people can be pretenders or be able to run fast but don't have a good attitude or different things like that. It's the same thing in business. Welcome back to a new episode of the SAS Nordic podcast. And uh, hi, Daniel, what's on your mind today? Hey, Thomas, good to be back here again. What's on my mind? I'm actually particularly proud of us today. Oh. Is, is, that, is that okay to say? That is okay. That is okay. Because this week we launched our content contributor network. So these are 65 B2B SaaS people that are going to write articles on all things B2B SaaS. And this week we just launched some of the first articles, which I think is great. It's a great way for the community to share with each other. So that is uh, actually a hallelujah and a proud moment for us. <laughs> yeah, and you can find them all on sasnordic.com on our website. So the website is revamped and it's gonna be content driven. So I hope you will check in there regularly. And another thing that we are very occupied with is planning for SAS's Digital 2022. It's on September 27th. It's free for all SAS companies. So head over there and make sure that you register. We have also some special perks for people registered early. And Daniel, what, what are you most uh, looking forward to with SAS's Digital? I think it's great to get the community back together. And uh, once again, I think we have a fantastic set of roster great speaking session relevant topics because the community basically told us what we should cover in a session here and we try to to have something for everyone so we have a general track that will pertain for everyone but we've also have four additional tracks so one track for revenue where we're going to talk a lot about sales and marketing and how you scale those there's a second track for customer success because in times like these our customers are more important than ever and then we have two additional tracks, one, one CEO track and one for our more product-friendly people or tech people. I know, Tom, Thomas, this is important for you, Yeah, I like <laughs> but that. our product track. <laughs> so there's something for everyone and for every taste, I think, in really strong field of speakers. Is there anything you're looking forward to hear or see, any particular session that you want to highlight here to the person listening? Well, for me... SaaS digital is close to my heart, but uh, because if we look back to last year when we still had our full-time jobs, uh, we, we did the first SaaS digital and it sort of is an important milestone for us and the reason why we sort of went all in on this that it turned out so well. And what I really enjoyed was the, all the engagement from the community. It, everything was live and we got good engagement, a lot of good questions that really made this uh, a day that uh, excelled our expectations. I remember that. Everybody told us, like, don't do it live, do it pre-recorded, things will go south. And we're like, no, no, we're doing it live. Yeah, for two reasons. Uh, we think that is more fun and we, we don't have time to, to do it pre-recorded. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, and it, it's all about authenticity. Yeah. It needs to be real. It needs to be raw. Keep it real. And today we have a special guest for you. Uh, and um, you will see moving forward that we will invite some international thought leaders as well to the, to the SAS Nordic podcast. And uh, we're also going to ramp up the frequency a bit on the recordings. So uh, looking forward to bring you more good content. 
And uh, if you are into demand generation, you probably know this guy. Today, we are very happy and honored to have Chris Walker, the CEO at Refined Labs, here as a guest in the SAS Nordic podcast. So uh, welcome, Chris. Thomas, Daniel, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's great. It's a little bit of a highlight in uh, in our podcast journey to have you on here. Like, we've been chasing you a little bit, so great to have you here. And we have a fantastic episode ahead of us here on demand generation. But first of all, for the ones that might not know you, who is Chris Walker? Hey, everyone. I'm Chris Walker. People, A lot of people know me for my point of view on uh, B2B marketing. However, I consider myself a, a business professional. I do finance and sales and have sold more than $10 million in deals in the past 12 months. And I do marketing and I run a company more than 100 people called Refine Labs, which is we help companies basically execute R&D for their revenue system, just like you would execute R&D on your product. I think it's a big missing piece of what companies need right now. Right. And uh, excited to get into some of the things that we were. And for context, we execute with about 60 B2B SaaS companies concurrently and have worked with more than 100 over the past two years. And so we have a lot of context through the scale about uh, what's happening, what's working inside of companies, what's actually driving revenue, what they're struggling with, what technology they're buying that's failing, how they structure their team. So we get tons of insights that other people only see in a sample size of one, they're like, oh, this is happening at my company. But then we see it replicated at 100 companies and through the pattern recognition are able to deduce what's actually working and what's not in a different way than others can. Okay, cool. But how did you end up here? I mean, being a demand gen thought leader and and running a business like Refined Lab. So how did this happen? So I have been an entrepreneur since I got out of college. I started two e-commerce companies from 2013 to 2017. None of them really blew up, but I learned a lot of good business lessons that I'm excited about. Um, And then in 2017, I joined a venture-funded company called Vapotherm, where I built the initial hooks and the infrastructure for what we execute today. Saw that working so well to drive uh, higher pipeline velocity demand for this company, growing revenue, and then recognizing that uh, every company out there is not doing this like me. And so uh, in 2019, I set out to start a company with the goal of fundamentally changing how B2B companies think about measure and execute their revenue systems and just find that companies are still stuck in the old way of thinking about it in the 2010s where you're entirely sales-led, marketing is a sales assistant, um, mostly an outbound motion, can't figure out how to get social or dark social or other channels to work to pull buyers in. Um, and so just think that there's a, a I think that I've discovered a a great way to do things and i'm trying to share with as many people as possible yeah i think that's awesome and the fact that you guys not just you but everybody at refine labs you're so generous and every day providing like great pieces of content and tips and tricks and i I think it's just amazing and if we look in our forums in our channels among our members demand generation is the hottest topic for all B2B SaaS companies. All marketeers are talking about it. It's top three anyway. Yeah. I mean, there are some other stuff as well, <laughs> scaling and recruiting, but it's definitely up there. <laughs> like why is demand generation a hot topic for B2B SaaS companies generally? Because buyers have fundamentally shifted in how they buy stuff and their approach and go to market with their sales team first and their marketing team just assisting the sales team to do sales no longer aligns with how buyers want to buy. It was the appropriate way to do stuff in the late two, in the early 2010s and as the evolution of dark social and review sites and information available on the internet and being able to access peers and now work from home and the acceleration through the covid period um, just things are entirely different and companies are looking for the solution um, and the solution is to 
educate your buyers at scale through the internet in the way that they want to buy. So that's why it's a quote unquote hot topic. Right. Okay. So was it the podcast that you did? And I also know that you did a live show here for a long time. Was was that the thing that sort of got this spinning for you or was it other things? Uh, when we started the podcast in the like right when COVID started, March 2020, and the live event that accompanied that with that, that I did with Katano Denardi, I already had 25,000 followers on LinkedIn. The stuff was already working. The company was starting to grow. Okay. It provided an entirely new level of upside. And this is sort of what I'm talking about. Companies thinking about their revenue generation system as R&D, because just like if you launch a feature or a platform or something like that, it can fundamentally change your business if you hit it right. Right. And we started a podcast and a live event in March of 2020. And since then, our company grew from four people to 115 people um, in the past two years on the back of one, pure strategy and customer insights, but then adding to that a unique point of view that's delivered through a live event and a podcast on an ongoing basis three times a week. Just seeing the opportunity prioritizing the opportunity and then executing on it. This is where companies get stuck. They cannot identify the opportunities or they don't move on them quickly enough. And by the time they move, right, a lot of people are now like, oh, we got to figure out LinkedIn 2023, you know, we'll put it in our 2023 plan. If you look at how the LinkedIn dynamics are working, the best time to be on LinkedIn was 2018 to 2020. And so you, companies just miss the opportunities because they move too slow. They don't measure the right way and they don't think about doing R&D for their for their revenue system they think about how am i going to do lead generation for this month right so if the best uh, time for linkedin was 2018 to 2020 where should it be now um don't get me wrong linkedin's still a great place but the the opportunity is significantly declining from where from where it was earlier and there's just the as a company i don't believe that they've done a great job managing the algorithm and even me personally who's poured so much energy and love that platform and using it less simply because it's not as not as helpful for me anymore. Um, but LinkedIn's still a big opportunity. I think I think podca- podcast is a huge one. And then I think if companies do have LinkedIn, a podcast, live event strategy, YouTube, like if they have an engine running, which many don't, but if you did, then I think TikTok is the next frontier. Um, I'm not saying that if you don't have any programs working right now that you should go and you know have four people working on TikTok. But if you're in a position where you're things are working, you're playing offense, then it feels like the natural logical place to be. Yeah, we actually started a challenge, me and Daniel, yesterday that we're going to post every day for 30 days and otherwise you get to do a funny dance or get some other kind of punishment. So let's see how that turns out. Thomas, you're going down. That's for sure. You're going down. I'm going to dominate the TikTok game here. But Chris, I want to come back to what you just said here that, you know, in theory, I also feel that if I look in the Nordics, everybody knows that the buyer journey is significantly different compared to how it used to be. So we, we need to adapt to that. And, you know, frankly, <laughs> there's a lot of companies starting, you know, the blog is open, uh, there's a podcast, some of them even try to create their own little community and so on. But frankly, they still fail. It produces nothing short term, it produces nothing long term for them. Like, why is that? Why is that in your experience? You must have seen lots, lots of companies that on a piece of paper doing the right things, but the results are not there. Because they don't have a good strategy. Like... So, and there, that comes in, in like two different levels here. Like the first level is like, do you have a product that people want? Do you have a point of view that resonates with people? Do you know who your target customer is? Do you understand that target customer well? Have you segmented and niche down so that you know the people who truly need your product? It's not a nice to have. A lot of companies don't go through those steps to actually figure that out. They go big TAM, 
one to many and just sort of throw stuff out and it sort of feels like it doesn't uh, doesn't hit. And then you have at the tactical level, right? Like at the tactical level, you got companies that are pu- like 5,000 employee company that's going to launch their podcast and they're going to do one podcast a month. Yeah. And it's like, what do you ex- what do you expect in that type of deal? If you go to the gym once a month, you expect to get ripped? Like, no. Um, and so, yeah, I see, I see basically those two places, uh, failing to get a podcast to work where 50,000 of your customer prospective customers or customers are actually engaged in listening to your podcast three times a week is really hard. Hmm. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot to actually seem to see to make it work. But if you hit it right, it fundamentally, like I mentioned before, it fundamentally changes your business. It changes how you can scale sales. It changes how you do marketing. It changes how you think about your product. Um, and so like there's a, that level of a dynamic. And then the last part that I'll put in place is that companies don't ha- set up the right infrastructure for any of this stuff to work. Yeah. They're obsessed with how they measure attribution. They don't actually take qualitative customer insights. They don't think they measure on MQ- attributable MQLs or leads or MQAs or things like that that prevent them from even, even if the podcast was working, they wouldn't see it because they don't measure appropriately. And who should get involved here? Should you put your CEO in the podcast or should you hire you know, an entertainer or should it be d- driven by the marketing department or the product department? What do, what do you say? Whoever has the most authority and credibility with your customer, who ideally someone who's done your customer's job before or your customer's boss's job before. Okay. And so like if that happens to be the CEO or your head of customer success, or your VP of marketing, or it could be anyone in your company. But the key is that your, your customers need to trust that person and they need to have the expertise to help them. Yeah. What do you think about, you know, when uh, ghostwriting, for instance, uh, I mean, one way of thought leadership is also to publish articles. And I know that there are several cases where, you know, uh, you ghostwrite an article and then put the CEO or the CMO face on it i i laugh at all of these things <laughs> <laughs> okay like this type of this type of stuff is laughable it's like hiring someone else to go to the gym for you you know what i mean yeah <laughs> anyone listening to this podcast that's either consumed my content or been following me, me on linkedin and to think that somebody else could write the copy which is the most important part of a linkedin post to write the copy for my videos over the past two years that hit the way that they hit to think about the point of view and perspective, nobody could do that but me. Yeah. And so all you're doing is just putting handcuffs on yourself and setting yourself up to fail by outsourcing this. And it's a key indicator that you don't actually think that it's important. Mm. You want to get someone to write your copy for you. What that means is that you're mailing it in. You think this is a something on the side that, oh, I'm going to hire a PR agency for 10K a month. They're going to write my stuff on LinkedIn. And it's just like, I don't think that people quantify and understand the differences of how the world works today and where your buyers are, right? Like in 10 years ago, the CEO would go to the trade show. They would be all over the floor. They'd be talking to every single person that they could, customers, prospects, partners, things like that. Yeah. And they would do that once or twice a year at the conferences. Now you can do that every day on LinkedIn. It's the same thing. And so people just, for whatever reason, come into digital with just a entirely different mindset than they go into real life. And it actually like the digital part opens up so many opportunities in real life. And so I, yeah, I, I truly believe that this is a mindset issue. And if you're one of the people that are like, I need someone to outsource my copy. It's, I think that's a key indicator that you need to change your mindset. Yeah. And another thing is to be engaged in the comments and the, in the discussions that follows your, uh, what you put out there, right? It's all the insights. Yeah. How do you think I write the post? Uh, t- for tomorrow. I read the comments of what people said today. 
Right. And so there's like a never ending stream. That's why my ideas are able to continue to perpetuate because I post things, I listen, I get feedback, I understand what's not working, what's not hitting, who's resonating with, and then using that to continue to inform my strategy in a 100% qualitative way. I'm looking at the insights in the comments, I'm looking at who's actually commenting, what people are saying. And that is a key indicator and a key difference between how I operate versus how others operate. When you use quantitative data, you make assumptions. You're typically waiting on data where you're too late. You don't get it directly from your customer. And I operate on qualitative. I see insights way sooner because there's early patterns of what people are saying before the quantitative presents itself. And I know that I get a higher level of detail through those insights that allows me to drive a strategy that's better than what other people do because they don't, they don't uh, harness these insights. Right. I wanted to ask you, so you said that a little bit, like if you run a podcast, have the person with the highest authority be the voice of that podcast, which I, which I think makes, makes a lot of sense. Now, if, if we as an organization decide that we're doubling down on creating demand and not just capturing demand, we're, we're like, in lack of better terms here, we're going to be all about demand generation. Who should own that within the a B2B SaaS organization? Does it sit with a marketer? Is it the CMO? Do you have to hire a particular role for this? How does that work? Um, first off, I'm like, my, it's funny because my podcast is currently called the State of Demand Gen, but I'm going to be renaming it because I actually dislike totally the term demand gen at this point because most people say demand gen, they think demand capture or outbound sales or lead gen. And so I'm not going to be using that term anymore. Um, and who should who should actually run this? Whoever knows how the fuck to do it, right? Like if you don't have someone, if you don't have someone in your company that can do it, if your CMO can't do it, if you don't have a direct a director of demand gen, if you don't have someone that can actually do the stuff, then you have to go out and find a partner or find someone that can do it. And there's a lot of pretenders out there. Oh yeah, there's plenty of people that can write a post where they literally just just either parrot paraphrase or directly plagiarize my thoughts that come from my podcast, LinkedIn or stuff like that. And I see it every day on LinkedIn. And then I see those people getting jobs as a VP of marketing somewhere and they don't have any original ideas. Right. If you're a pro sports coach, you have to be very good at identifying talent because a lot of people can be pretenders or be able to run fast, but don't have a good attitude or different things like that. It's the same thing in business. You have to be able to, in critical fun functions, understand the function well enough to judge whether or not the person that you're hiring or the person that's in that role right now is doing the right things. And the fact of the matter is that most executives in B2B companies, none of them across the board understand this well enough to judge whether the people that are doing it even know how to do it well. Exactly. It just leads to a lot of guessing. So people end up being like, oh, this person worked for Salesforce. Let's hire them for our Series A company. Right. Not knowing that like, the demand gen people at Salesforce don't have to do anything for the next 10 years and they'll have enough demand. Right. And then you go into a company that's starving and thinking that the playbook from Salesforce is going to work at a series A company. It's wild. <laughs> the company, they just keep perpetuating this like heavy MQL model and heavy outbound model via Salesforce from that built that company in the, in the 2000s and they still replicate it in 2022. And, and uh, it's funny that you say that because... You're absolutely right. If, if you don't know what you're looking for, it's impossible to find the right, in this case, candidate. So if I would ask you this, if I am a CEO or CMO and looking to hire my first demand generation director, what are the two, three questions you would ask for that person to address to somehow vet does he or, he or she know their shit? 
So um, first off, I wouldn't, I'm not, I'll give you the questions later and I'm going to write this down. I'll give you three questions, but like, this is not the solution. Uh, having three questions and looking for answers is not the solution. The solution is as an executive recognizing that just as important as developing your product and managing your book, your finances and your P&L and raising money that generate creating demand for your category and your business is a critical thing that the executives at your company must understand, specifically the CEO. So you have to recognize that and then take it and go out and learn and do stuff and figure it out. If you're a 40-year-old CEO and you plan on being in business, we're not going backwards here. This is just going to continue to get more and more and more important. And we're going to see some of the signs that we see in pharma and medical device where they're having less sales reps and doing way more over the top digitally independent buying. And that is going to continue to perpetuate. And so you as an executive, not recognizing that you have 25 or more years in your career that take 40 to 80 hours and actually learn the details of how this works so that you can evaluate a candidate for real, not just use three canned questions that I'm about to give you. That's the punchline. Mm. When I think about the three questions, I think the first, the, the first question that I would ask is like, how, how are we going to um, effectively measure the performance of this function? And the thing that I would be looking for is I'm looking for qualified pipeline and revenue that gets created through our website that when the pipeline wins at greater than 25%, and then we're looking at how much revenue gets created off of the overall program spend. And so if you hear anything like MQAs, leads, MQLs, even SQLs, meetings, a lot of the fluffy stuff that a lot of marketers do, then that is a negative. A lot of marketers that believe in the MQL or things like that will still say revenue, which is another sort of thing that you got to be able to peel back the onion and ask two or three more questions, understand what do they actually mean. Um, I would ask them, what are the what are the top three things that are working for you right now in whatever job that you're doing? Yep. Understand what they say. It'll be a clear understanding of how they think about attribution, what's actually working. Most I ask this question to almost everybody I talk to, the same dumb shit I hear every time paid search and SEO just because of attribution bias. Um, so you would be able to see that as well, if depending. And then the last thing I would ask is how do you, how do you think about um, like how important is understanding customers in, into your overall strategy and how are you going to go? What's your plan to go out and do that? You could even, you could ask what's your 90 day plan. Um, and if in the 90 day plan, there's nothing about spending time with 10 to 50 customers and, and prospective customers, then that person is not a hire for me. A good SaaS company can grow to $10 million in ARR and exit to an M&A consolidator. But a great, enduring SaaS company can grow to hundreds of millions of dollars of ARR and become really iconic. The difference between a good company and a great one is often in perfecting their go-to-market fit. But how do you do that? Access our new go-to-market fit toolkit at gtmf.ox.vc to find out the common denominators for perfecting your go-to-market fit and much more. So for the ones that are not familiar with the term dark social, can you just uh, tell what it is in short? Dark social is an effect through the scale and maturity of the internet that create tons of different word of mouth channels where B2B buyers or B2C buyers can effectively communicate with their peers, understand business priorities and make validate business decisions that don't get tracked by attribution software and don't create intent data. There's a, a plethora of different things and I'll name some couple. One is social networks, so like LinkedIn or a TikTok. Another one is content platforms like YouTube or Spotify. You have communities like Slack or a Discord or a Facebook group or things like that. You have direct word of mouth, you, uh, which is Zooms, tech me text messages, phone calls. You have third-party events like where I go speak at a conference and talk, shout out a tool, and that tool 
you know, the people listening in the audience get to get to realize that. And then there's the sharing of information in internal communication channels, which could be meetings, Slack channels, uh, email, or other places like that. So all of those places is where information is being transferred, where people are getting understanding of what their peers are doing and what they're prioritizing. And the reason why this is so impactful is twofold. One, B2B buyers trust their peers more than anybody else, more than the results they get in Google, more than the quadrant they see in Gartner, more than anything. It's not that they don't trust the other sources. It's that they trust their peers more, definitely more than your sales rep. So they trust their peers more. And they now, over the past three years, especially has accelerated because every single B2B buyer has learned how to be a digitally native person. Hmm. A lot of CEOs couldn't boot up Zoom in 2018 or <laughs> use Microsoft Teams. Now they figured it out. They used to go to a live event every Thursday with CMOs. Now they do. They used to not log into LinkedIn every day, and now they do. Yeah. They used to not do a lot of things that they do now that are not trackable by the how companies measure. And so they literally just don't understand what's happening. And so we, through the way that we've measured, we discovered this in... Uh, Q4 of last year, I actually did a leaked podcast. I think it's episode 315 on the State of Demand Gen podcast that you can check out, talking all about the attribution mirage and then hybrid attribution. So we set up a uh, test where we actually asked customers when they converted, how they heard about us. And then we compared that to the data that we got from attribution software, which was HubSpot and Dream Data. And then we compared them and found that almost none of them matched. There was almost, uh, I think, 3% of the answers matched between what the customer said qualitatively versus what the uh, what the attribution software said, which led us to this uh, understanding of dark social and the attribution mirage. The attribution mirage, companies continue to measure with software and they miss a lot of the different things, leading them to make decisions that are suboptimal because they don't have a full picture. And dark social because we see all of the places that aren't effectively getting measured by attribution software that are driving big results that based on what customers tell us are communities, social networks, podcasts, and word of mouth. And so those are collectively a huge component. They actually, at the moment, drive 97% of our, our ARR this year, more than 10 million in ARR this year, um, coming from those exact sources based on what customers say. What about stuff like uh, review sites, like you know G2 and stuff like that? Is, is that something to consider? Is that something to double down on? It, it, it's something to consider, but recognizing that a review site is a captured demand program so a buyer's never going to go to the ABM category of a review site unless they're interested in ABM. Right. And so recognizing that you as a company need to get to a buyer and educate them before they're in market to buy or you're going to find yourself as a huge commodity. And so I'm not saying that capture, capturing demand isn't important. I'm just saying that companies spend tons of money and waste tons of money on capturing demand and don't effectively create demand. And I'm trying to educate them on the gap is that it's not that their review site doesn't have as many reviews. It's that they aren't effectively getting to buyers before they want to buy. Yeah. And do you feel that you get a buy-in when you educate, you know, when you meet and you call it a prospect? Like, do you get a buy-in from everybody or is there uh, a convincing element? You have to convince the CEO and everybody else on the team that, guys, we need to switch it up here now. Um, I think it uh, it certainly varies depending on we probably have 100 sales conversations a month. So, it definitely varies. Um, but the people that are our best customers and the ones that, that decide to work with us are the ones that recognize that this is a problem in their business. Yeah. They feel it. They've, they've tried spending a million dollars a month on Google. They realize that they created no incremental, the 10x to spend created no incremental pipeline or revenue and recognize that some of the things that I'm saying actually are true, but requires them to fall down, scrape their elbows, scrape their knees, 
get back up and say, okay, I tried that. And now I know that it doesn't work. So I'm going to try something else. And a lot of companies just haven't gone through that process of scraping their knees yet. It's a really interesting phenomenon. It's true across the board, including myself, that people will not make changes until the pain of change is less than the pain of their current state. This whole situation over the, the economic situation in the world throughout 2020 has put a ton of pressure on companies in the way that I just said, where the pain of staying the same is higher than the pain of change now. Right. So more and more companies are open to, re- to recognizing that what they're doing is not working, making a shift in strategy and moving forward. Yeah. And I guess that a lot of the companies that uh, approach you, um, you have already created the demand for your services. So they are pretty much you know, in line with the message that you have. Yeah, we do. We do no outbound and we do no lead gen because it's a highly ineffective stra- go-to-market strategy. So companies that hear this and they really want to double down, they want to focus on doing more demand gen. What, what should they start doing? I mean, should everyone start a podcast? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think that the, out of all of them, a video podcast is one of the best tactical things that you could do. But as we talk through, there's a lot of different things about why companies would try a podcast and it not to work. And so I recommend the first step being analyze your current business data, understand and have a alignment across the executive team is, are, is what we're doing right now working or not? Yeah. Are we achieving our goals? Is our sales team hitting quota? What are we thinking about in the future? Do we have confidence that these programs are going to scale in 2023 so that we can actually go and exit in 2024? Do we have these things in place in the confidence or not? Yeah. And people need to take a hard look at that because they keep just sort of moving around on this hamster wheel where they, the only thing is that, hey, like we recognize that what we're doing is not working, but let's add more money to Google. Let's spend more money on content syndication. Let's hire more SDRs. And they think that more, let's buy more technology. They think that more is the solution but it's really doing something different that is the solution. Yeah, b- because, um, I mean, uh, of course, you can start a, a video podcast. You can repurpose that for different platforms and so on. But w- what are other small steps that you could start doing in order to, to move in this direction? Very con- concrete stuff. You got to have the customer insights. Okay. The reason that people resonate with the things that I say so much is because I am one of the strongest, most consistent cust- doing primary market research out there right now. That's why I have the insights. That's why I see the patterns. That's why I'm able to explain the things that other people aren't able to explain. That's why when people come, they're like, oh my gosh, what you said is something that I've been thinking about for three years, but I haven't been able to vocalize it. And it's like, that's because a hundred of people like you told me the same thing. And then all I did was just was able to package it up and understand why it's happening. And so the customer insights are huge. And then developing a point of view that people actually care about. Yeah. So I think those are the two sort of like foundational things that take a lot of work, take a lot of work, take a lot of time, and almost is like setting you up for success inside of the tactics, right? If I like, if I went on LinkedIn in 2019 and said a bunch of stuff that wasn't interesting or wasn't helpful or wasn't moving the profession forward, I, we wouldn't be on this podcast right now. You know what I mean? You wouldn't have invited me. And so the point of view is a huge piece of it. All right. So, so if you have the customer insights, they have, you have the point of view, you're, you're committed to engage with the people that listens to you, then it could be different channels depending on what's natural for you or what, what suits your target group. Is, is that what you're saying? I think that there are always a couple of platforms that are the best that make the most sense to execute on today that companies usually don't recognize, which is why they're a big opportunity. Like when I, when I moved on LinkedIn in 2019 and posted every day for more than 365 days, 
including weekends and grinded and hustled and, and did a bunch of things that other people weren't willing to do that then capitalized on that opportunity a ton. And then when I got there, I didn't stop. I put a podcast on top of it, con- continued with the consistency on LinkedIn, which is we're coming up on four years now wow. of the LinkedIn execution consistently and being able to recognize that opportunity on LinkedIn in 2019 when everyone else was telling me you should go and hire an SDR team, go send cold emails, go buy outreach. That's what people were telling me. And so being able to recognize that opportunity because I had seen the patterns when I started e-commerce companies where in 2013, Facebook ads cost like what it was like a dollar 40 CPM. Now they cost 20, like $20. You know what I mean? So hmm. there was a huge opportunity on Facebook in 2013 that I capitalized on. There was a big one on Instagram from 2016, 17. The same thing happened on LinkedIn. The same thing happens on TikTok, and it's the exact same thing. And so you, once you understand the patterns of what, how am I going to get the signals to know and how am I going to have the confidence from there, it's just recognize it and then go and execute. Um, and so I think that I have a level of experience that especially come with like, qua- like multiple B2C and B2B experience. Um, just think that I view things very differently and see patterns that other people don't see and just have a lot of conviction in doing things that it's almost weird. It's like when people tell me that the, I- that my idea isn't good, I lean in almost like, I almost think that it's a better idea when people tell me it's not. <laughs> so this ability you have to, to look at things in another way. Is that something that goes into other areas of life as well? Uh, I for you um, recognize that I have a ability inside of my brain to process large information and make connections that most people never see, just because of the gift of how my brain works. Um, so yeah, I would I, w- I would assume that, that spills over into other things. I can get senses. Yeah. You don't have a funny example of of uh, <laughs> how that you know. Um, yeah, how it has manifested. You're really good at the game memory. <laughs> uh, it, it's not really memorization. It's more about um, finding connections inside of things that other people don't make connections for. Like the idea, I can give some business examples. Some not, I don't have any on the personal side at the, at the top of my head. But like the idea that every single company out there has been complaining that they can't effectively measure LinkedIn and a podcast and all these things like that for the past 10 years. And then for me to come in, understand what they're doing, understand, okay, what is actually happening? The software is biased to cap to capturing demand. We need to get insights from customers. What customers are saying are different. Let's think about this thing called self-reported attribution. And then actually develop that is something that will no one else has done. You know what I mean? And so being able to look at and understand what is the actual problem in the market? Why is it a problem? And what is an appropriate solution is something from my product management roots and back in the day is something that I'm, I uh, think I have a real talent for. Awesome. So uh, if you would name a few companies, B2B SaaS companies that you think are doing this good today, who are they? And, and what is it that stands out with their programs in your eyes and in your opinion? Uh, I don't uh, really name companies anymore. So I recognize that my like the things that I say will drive a lot of impact for those companies. And so I choose not to do that. Um, what I can say is that you can look at how my company's executing. You can look at what we're doing. Um, if you're looking for an example of how to execute in terms of consistency, what channels we're working on, the intent, what the CTAs are, how many hashtags we use, we use video or text, how often do we post, what time do we post, who's doing it inside of the company, Watch, like there, there's a million things that you can learn about just how we execute. And so I'd prefer to use that answer. Are there companies out there that are doing it well? Sure. 
but I recognize that there's a lot of companies that were doing it well three months ago that are no longer doing it well for right. whatever reason. And that's why I don't like naming other, co other companies. That's fair. So what would be your top three tips for companies that want to embark on the Demandian journey? Uh, tip number one, you have to have alignment across the entire executive team about what is going on in the business and why to actually embark. This is the number one reason why this stuff fails. The number one reason why this stuff fails is because the marketing teams are there like, oh, we want to we want to go and do demand gen, blah, blah, blah. But the CRO doesn't know about it. The CFO doesn't know how you're going to measure the investment. The CEO doesn't even understand what demand gen really means. And the board wants 25,000 MQLs next quarter. Exactly. <laughs> up to fail. So you have to have alignment across all of these people that this is a true, significant business risk with the opportunity with the opportunity cost of us potentially losing the category because we aren't executing the way our customers are and we don't have enough product differentiation to continue to win. So how we execute and drive revenue is just as important as how we execute and build our product. So you have, need to have an executive alignment there. Number two is you have to fundamentally change how you measure marketing. I laid out exactly how you should do it. That by reference the podcast, it has everything that you would need to do it. If you don't change how you measure marketing at the top level about how we're going to report to the board and the executive team, and then at the second level about how we're going to actually inform and drive strategy about what's working and what's not, if you don't have that in place, you are definitely going to fail in this journey. It's not complicated. You're going to start the podcast. I've done this before as a marketer. You're going to start the podcast. Eight weeks later, the CEO is going to come over and say, where are all the leads from the podcast? You're going to say, oh, I don't know. We don't, we're not measuring it. Blah, blah, blah. It can't, it's tough to be measured. And they're going to say, forget the podcast. Let's go run content syndication and lead gen like every other SaaS company does. I'm, forget whatever we're spending on the podcast, go spend on Google. So you have to think about how you, how you measure differently. And then num I, I guess number three is like you actually, you actually, if your marketing team is going to be doing this thing, and I've said publicly that I think there's other ways to look at org structure between marketing and sales. But if your marketing team is going to do this stuff, like you have to have expertise in what your buyers want and you need to focus. So the thing that I see is that companies will just basically have 20 programs running at once and just throw spaghetti out. No way to know which ones are working and which ones aren't. It's all a gut feel and it's all one-off experiments. And yeah. if you do that, you're, you spread out budget, you spread out focus, you don't know what's working and what's not. For the, for the first year that I was in business, I only posted on LinkedIn. For the third year I was in business, I just did the LinkedIn, the podcast, and TikTok. Mm. And, so, and other companies are doing 20 things in the first week. And so there's just a, there's a huge, I, I think people don't quantify the level of focus that you don't actually need that many channels or programs in order to fundamentally change the trajectory of the growth of the business. So mm. I think focus and prioritization would be number three. Yeah. So what I've seen in many SaaS companies is that marketing isn't the department that is closest to the customer. You have sales, you have customer success, you even have the product department that sometimes can be very close to the customer. So is this generally a problem and how do you sort of get out of that situation? That's not how marketing works in my brain. That's not how marketing works for me, <laughs> how it works in SaaS. Yeah, but your brain is special. I mean, think about everyone else. Marketing when operated properly is synonymous with business strategy. What product are we going to build? Who are we going to target? How are we going to price it? How are we going to promote it? How are we going to actually sell it? Is it through a field sales team, inside sales team, e-com, PLG? Like all of those components and decisions are get driven from customer insights into a strategy, into a marketing and business strategy that you go and execute. Now, because of how SaaS companies operate, they've, they've done a lot of those things with sales and product. 
And they do so. And when you do it that way, you get tech focused product and you get a, you get, well, I, in my belief, flawed insights based on what the sales team wants to hear. And so am I saying that every marketing team in SaaS companies is capable of doing this? I'm definitely not. And I think what they're doing is probably the best they can for their organization. But the reality is that the way companies view marketing and, and the breadth of what marketing should do is super limited to basically lead gen or promotion, which is why a lot of marketing teams don't get the, the impact of what they're going for. And so this isn't the issue. The issue is not that marketing doesn't get exposed to customers. The issue is that the company doesn't think about marketing in the right way, which is why they do it this way. You shouldn't even call yourself a marketer if you haven't talked to a customer within the past two weeks. <laughs> I was just about to say that. And all love to all the people I've worked with. The issue is that if your priority is when you start a new job to change the logo and update uh, the website, rather than speaking to customers, maybe it's the wrong place to start. Yeah. I mean, marketing is essentially at, like taking the voice of the customer and acting as the evangelist for customers internally for what customers want and need. That's how I see it. Um, and that's simply not how it's practiced. It was, I was actually so fascinated when I started getting into the SaaS market and saw what, what marketing teams did and what their responsibilities were and how a lot of this stuff doesn't happening. And I was like, wow, this is like, how do you even do marketing this way? Yeah. It's, not po- it's almost not possible. That's amazing. And that's where your brain went like, okay, here, here's a major opportunity. I, I, I can see the opportunities here. Speaking about opportunity... Give us that one golden tip here. I'm going to ask a leading question. Is TikTok the LinkedIn of 2018 and 2020? Is TikTok the place to be for all of us right now? I don't think so. No? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think that TikTok is a great opportunity and that mature companies that have a strong engine running and know how to create content on other platforms that customers love, that TikTok is a logical next choice. But I wouldn't expect it to be delivering for you at scale for, I mean, I've been operating it for six months and we're still only in phase two of our revenue R&D system. So it's phase two out of five. Um, and so it's like not, uh, it's not delivering at the same level that a LinkedIn or a podcast would. And it's going to be a long time until it is. And so if you're a company that's investing in the future because a lot of shit is working and you want to do it that way, then that makes a lot of sense. But I don't think that, I, I don't think that many companies listening to this podcast are put in that position. And so if you had the choice like between focusing your energy on doing a podcast or doing TikTok, like it would definitely be the video podcast. Yeah. So um, I, that's my hot take at the current state. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my hot take. So Chris, it's been great having you here. And uh, what can we expect from you and Refine Labs in uh, 2023 or moving forward here? Talk about in like next month, you're going to be seeing uh, okay. <laughs> several really strong announcements of how the evolution of Refine Labs is is coming together. I mentioned that we're focusing on a concept of revenue R&D that we're going to be announcing uh, to the market in a couple of weeks with the core insight of that company spend 25% of revenue developing their doing R&D to develop their product. And the reason that they spend that much money to develop their product is to gain a competitive advantage, stay close to customers, launch features that people want, increase market share. That's why they invest an average $100 million SaaS company will spend $25 million on product R&D. And then recognizing the concept that they spend $0 on revenue R&D with a systematic process in order to move things from concept to fully integrated into the mix, where when they do that, they know customers want it, they know it's effective, they know they can build it into their financial plan because they've proven it, 
And the goal of the, doing that thing would be to increase market share, stay close to customers, and all the exact same benefits that you get from product R&D, you would get through revenue R&D. I think, Thomas, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling a little bit here and because watch this new, new term, revenue R&D, being coined here. Everybody's going to talk about revenue R&D in the next few months. So uh, thank you so much, Chris. Great having you on the show. Um, and uh, see you around. So Daniel, what are your takeaways from this episode? Uh, there's lots of takeaways. I feel I'm, I'm a little bit smarter uh, after every episode. And or do you feel a little bit dumber <laughs> when you have listened to Chris Walker? No, no. I, I, I actually always feel a little bit smarter after every episode. And this one is, is, is no exception. Um, but I think, again, we see Chris, we see his LinkedIn feed, we see his TikTok feed, and he's all this engagement. But it's like he said... You can't go to the gym once a month and expect you're going to be buff. I, I think that's a great metaphor. He's been at it, like he said, for four years, posting every day, engaging with his audience, even weekends. That's how you build a following. That's how you are, become one with your audience. And I think sometimes, including myself, we underestimate the consistency yeah how many days uh, did you post on tiktok in a row <laughs> do we have to talk about that here <laughs> yeah hey the competition is not over there's still 20 days yeah exactly yeah but yeah no so i think the consistency was one thing and i had one more thing but i don't want to steal your thunder because maybe that's your thing so what are you taking away from this episode i really like what he said about authenticity uh, uh, when it comes to you know the content you put out there uh, you know i've seen examples of people having ghost writers or you hire people that they write comments for you and so on and uh, i don't think that works that's not what build uh, relationships and uh, you don't learn anything else from that i mean you wouldn't put the uh, another person out meeting customers and so on you want to be there yourself and you should put the person that is an authority towards your customer that has the product knowledge or that have other things that that is interesting for for your community or for your prospects so having that person and giving that person the time and the option to really engage with the customers and prospect i think that is key yeah yeah really great conversation they're, they're doing a lot of great stuff over there at refine lab so I guess most of you guys already follow him and Refine Labs. If you're not, go ahead and do it. Great content. And revenue R&D, you might have heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs>